He is risen. Amen. Well, let me say good morning, familia, and welcome to church. It is a privilege and a joy to be able to worship with you on this Easter, this, this Resurrection Sunday, and all that it means for us. Now, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Eric Solomon. I get to serve here as the pastor of this particular congregation, and we are part of this extended We in Bible Church familia alongside our Iglesia de Pueblo and West Chicago congregations on North Avenue. And all together, alongside churches, not just that bear We in Bible Church's name, but, but alongside all the suburbs, this country, the world, this morning, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, because He is risen. And as we celebrate... There is something that I want to put before you as we begin to dive into God's Word. There's a, there's a question that I want us to consider this morning. Uh, writing about the resurrection in his book, uh, a pastor named Joe Lomuseo, he, he wrote this book, If I Should Die Before I Live, and he, he asked this question that I'm going to ask you this morning. If I were to ask you to describe Easter without using any words, and you could only use punctuation marks, which punctuation mark would you choose to describe Easter for yourself this year? Some see Easter as a comma. He explains it, it makes you stop, it makes you pause, it makes you think and listen, but that's all. It, it's more like a, a speed bump that makes you consider for a moment, right? consider your life, consider God, consider good and evil, maybe even consider the gospel again, only to move on without the resurrection making much difference to your life. Others, he writes, see Easter more like a, a big and bold period. You, you, you thought you'd feel excited, but Easter feels just as empty as the disciples did when Jesus had died and was stuck in a tomb. After Easter, life feels just as frustrating, just as hopeless, like nothing is ever going to change, just as frustrating as it did before. What's the point? How would you describe Easter for yourself this year? Would you use words like powerless or pointless? A nice story, if you're into that sort of thing, I guess. What if I told you that the very fact that we are still talking about Jesus today means that the events we celebrate on Easter are anything but powerless or pointless? What if I told you that the very fact that we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is, is undeniable evidence that what happened on that weekend in Jerusalem outside the city gates is anything but powerless or pointless, anything but underwhelming, anything but empty? What if I told you that the resurrection of Jesus is a reality that demands a response, a time-shattering life-changing, world-shaking, historical reality that changes everything. What if? Fleming Rutledge writes in her incredible book on the crucifixion, she says, if Christ was not raised from the dead, we would never have heard of him. Tens of thousands were crucified in the Roman era. Of all of these, the name of Jesus of Nazareth is the only one known to us. He was consigned to the oblivion designed by Rome for crucified victims, but within weeks was proclaimed as the name above all names. Or as the Bible puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday are not just footnotes in the history of the Roman Empire where some cult tried to overthrow Roman rule. 
what Jesus did by dying on a cross and coming back to life redefined history for all of eternity. The events we celebrate this weekend are the turning points of time. They they are the reality by which all reality is defined because Jesus didn't stay dead. He is risen. And this morning, I want us to follow the risen Savior into the room where his first disciples were cowering in silence and darkness of defeat. I want you to hear from him why what he did changes everything for us. And so the text we're going to be in this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 24, 36 through 49. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it up on the screen. You can also grab one from the cart in the back. And I want to ask you to stand as we read God's words for us this morning. Luke 24, starting in verse 36. While they, being the disciples in this room, were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and and while they still did not believe, this time because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is God's word. You may be seated. The disciples on the first Easter, struggled with the question that I'm asking us to consider this morning. How would you describe Easter? In that same book, the pastor explains that the disciples actually experience Easter through three punctuation marks. They, they start with this dark and what feels like story-ending period, and Jesus is dead and buried. Their expectations of this Jesus have been shattered, and it feels like the credits are about to roll as the words, the end, come up on the screen. And Luke records the end of Good Friday in the chapter right before the passage we read, starting in verse 48, says, when all the people had, would gather to witness this sight, saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away, but all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance and watched these things. All of the disciples, men and women, stand as distant as they feel on this Good Friday, as events that they couldn't imagine ever happening unfold before them. Watching it come to pass before them as they, as they feel, as it feels like the end of the story is starting to tie up loose ends. The story keeps going. There was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who hadn't consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. 
So he goes to Pilate. He asked for Jesus' body. He took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, placed it in a tomb cut in a rock, one which no one had yet been laid. And it was preparation day. The Sabbath was about to begin. You see, for the first people who experienced this moment, Luke 23 felt like the last chapter, not the second to last chapter of the story. As the body of the one they followed, the one they they loved, is laid to rest in a tomb, their hearts are anything but restful. The question that haunts them as they wonder is, what now? Their story ending period becomes the question you ask when it feels like there's nothing else to do. What do we do now? And what feels like the final chapter answers the question like this. These are the final verses of Luke 23. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, they followed Joseph, saw the tomb, and how his body was laid in it. And they went home and they prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Now all that's left is to honor his death as best as we can and move on, I guess. That's how these women who followed Jesus answer the question. But that's not how all the disciples answer this question. Like I mentioned, they're all cowering in a room wondering what to do. But these women who had followed Jesus, they decided to follow Joseph, see what they could do for Jesus even in his death. But before they could do, they needed to rest. Because the rest that Jesus promised looked like it would just be stuck in the past now. And they had to find their own rest. Only the law and obedience to the commandment was left now that the Jesus who promised to save them was silenced by the rulers of this world. What now? The question is laid to rest for an evening while the Savior is doing anything but resting. Because Luke 23 is not actually the final chapter of this story. The name of Jesus is not lost to history among the thousands of Roman crucifixions of nameless criminals. We sing worthy is the name this morning because of the very next words in our story. The next chapter begins with these words, on the first day of the week. Very early in the morning, the woman took the spices that they had prepared. They went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. You see, Saturday was not the end. It was the beginning of the end. The end of sin, death, and destruction. The beginning of new life. And it all started on the first day of the week. When the story ending period and unanswerable question mark become the life exchanging gospel exclamation point. He is risen. Fast forward to the scene of our text this morning as Jesus steps into a room of uncertainty and anxiety and and changes their questions into exclamations. I want to show you how he is risen are not just words that we say on Resurrection Sunday, but a reality that changes everything. And I want to show you that this morning by pointing us to the four answers that Jesus gives to what feels like an unanswerable question. What now? The peace of his presence. What now? The promise of his word. What now the witness of his church? What now the power of his spirit? So answer number one, the peace of his presence. We step into the room and we look around as two of Jesus' followers are, are trying to explain to these disciples, listen, what, it's true. What the women said is true. He is alive. And as they're trying to explain what's happening and fumbling over themselves, Jesus himself stood among them. 
and said to them, Peace be with you. The rumored one walks into the room while they are discussing his rumors, turning legend into real life. And with his presence comes his peace. You see, Jesus is not just saying good morning. He is pronouncing peace over them. The kind of peace that is available because of his death and resurrection, even if Jesus still has to explain what he means. They were startled. They were frightened. They thought they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at me. Look at me. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is, it is me. It's the one you've been following for years. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. The shock of his presence do not, does not let his, his peace sink into them, and so he asks them to sink their hands into him and feel the truth of what they see. Look and touch. Don't be scared. Believe. And then when Jesus has said this, he shows them his hands, his feet, their anxiety becomes all as the reality of what they are experiencing begins to dawn on them. Right? And then, then it says they still didn't believe, but this time it was because of joy and amazement. It is the dawn of a new day, and their what now feels a lot more hopeful than it did last night. It is the first day of the week. And now it's starting to feel like the first day of the rest of their lives. Until Jesus, in typical fashion, breaks this extraordinary moment with an incredibly ordinary request. Um, do you guys have anything to eat? They give him some fish, and he, he takes it and eats in their presence, right? This, this typical, explicitly ordinary, no one ever wants to have their picture taken while they eat moment is captured by the history books as Jesus fills his resurrected, glorified, renewed body with food. He really died, and he's really alive. And as he sits down, his peace fills the room because he is not dead. Everything is different now because Jesus has risen from the grave. In our day, when peace feels a lot harder to come by than it used to, and sometimes it feels more like just the memory of days gone by, the peace of Christ is not only unusual, it is essential. You see, there is no peace apart from Jesus. Our governments cannot guarantee our peace. Our families cannot produce or promise us peace. Our, our, our social and political identity cannot secure and make sure nobody takes our peace. Apart from Jesus, peace is as difficult to find as it was on that Saturday between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Jesus came back to life to give us peace. It's why the Bible calls him over and over again the God of peace. It's why Ephesians 2 says he came and preached peace. It actually says that he himself is our peace. His death and his resurrection paid the penalty of sin and destroyed the power of sin. And now we can all have what deep down we all really want, peace. Peace with God, our creator, peace with each other. In Christ, there is peace in his presence. How? Why? Because of our second answer, the promise of his word. Look back at the text, verse 44. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. 
Jesus opens their minds so that they could understand the scriptures he's pointing them to, and he tells them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Everything must be fulfilled. The promises of God must be kept. The God who promised freedom, the God who promised his spirit to empower all who believe to live like he made them to live, the God who promised peace and joy, the God who promised that he would make a way back to himself, needs to keep his promises, wants to keep his promises. He will keep his promises. Now, the disciples, they understood these promises. It's why if you track the story of the Gospels, Every so often, the, the disciples stop Jesus and they ask him, okay, when are you going to overthrow Rome? When are we going to get going on this thing? Because they knew the promise, and they thought they knew how God would make good on his promises. But they didn't. This is why Jesus had to open their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Because even though Jesus had told them over and over again before he died that he would die so that they could live until this moment, they had a really hard time understanding that the way that God wins is by losing, is by dying. Our Savior demonstrates his power by giving up his life for us. Does anyone relate having a hard time understanding God's ways? We know what God has promised. We love God's promises, but we really struggle when we look around and look at our lives, and it, it, our lives look a lot less like we think they should when we're holding on to God's promises. And instead of trusting in Him, not just for His promises, but for how He will make good on His promises, we struggle and we wonder if He Himself is good, if He Himself is faithful, if He Himself is actually going to keep His promises, if He can even do what He said He would do. And here, Jesus opens the minds of his disciples so that after, after God did what he said he would do, they could actually see it, connecting the dots for them. You see, they're complicated by their expectations. Uh, they, they had trouble connecting these dots so that Jesus actually did it for them. He showed them what it meant. He, he put together the whole story for them because Jesus is the hope that God promises in Genesis. Jesus is the, the freedom that's foreshadowed in Exodus. Jesus is the one that all prophecies lead to and every prophet longed for. Jesus is the one that the law anticipated and David and the psalmist celebrated. He is the better prophet. He is the better priest. He is the better king. And in him, all the promises of God are yes and amen, including his promise to make a way back to himself through the forgiveness of sins through the death of a Savior, not just for his people, but for all peoples. Anyone who believes can become his people by faith in Christ. It is his promises that we celebrate this morning, his promises that we trust in, his promises that we not just celebrate for ourselves, but, but witness to together, which is why Jesus answers the question with a third answer. What now? Now his church they are witnesses to these things. What now? Experience the peace of God. Remember the promises of God. Celebrate that God keeps his promises. But now, witness to what you have seen and experienced. 
In the same way that Jesus came as a messenger of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God, telling people that God was making a way back, that their, their sins can be forgiven, in the same way that Jesus was telling them that their creator wanted to, to make them sons and daughters and was drawing up the adoption papers as he spoke, so the new people of God go out into to the world to tell other people what they have witnessed. He's really done it. You can be family. You can be part of the, you can be, you can be back in relationship with the God who made you. This new family of God was created by the Spirit because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and has now commissioned us to go out into the world to bring that message of God. You can be family too. Repent of your sins. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is risen. What now? Go and tell everyone you know everywhere you go because you have seen your Lord back from the grave. Death has been dealt a death blow and anyone can be free by faith in the rescuer. That is exactly what Jesus' followers do. In the days, the weeks, the months, the years, the decades, the centuries that follow the resurrection, disciples of Jesus, they witness to these things but not before our fourth answer. You see, Jesus finishes this section with one more answer to the question of what now. Now, wait for the power of his spirit. Verse 49, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Wait, he says. Listen, by now you know that I keep my promises. And as I send you out to witness, I want you to wait until the spirit that, that my father promised you. In Luke chapter 12, verse 11, Jesus guarantees the promise of the spirit for witness when he tells them this. When you were brought before synagogues, rulers, authorities, don't worry about how you're going to defend yourselves, what you're going to say, because the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And now he's telling them, listen, wait for the spirit of God that I guaranteed for you. Wait for the Spirit of God that used to be reserved for special people on special assignment for God. Wait for the Holy Spirit to fill all of you, every disciple, for the special assignment of witness. And so the final answer to the question, what now, is wait. Jesus answers their questions with his resurrection. The peace of his presence, the promise of his word, the witness of his church, and now wait for the power of his Spirit. But the answer for us this morning is no longer wait. It is still the peace that passes all understanding. It is still the promises that will never fail and the witness that compels us, but it is no longer wait. It is go. We already have the spirit that Jesus guarantees to all who believe. This week as I was preparing for this message, I was reading a book on the final days of Jesus and the writer explains what I'm trying to get at with a very simple phrase. For true believers, every day is Easter. Every day is a day to celebrate that he has risen. Every day is a reminder of resurrection, an encouragement to actually live out a resurrected life, to remember and experience and ask when life gets hard for the peace of his presence, to hold tight to and read again and again and tell others of the promise of his word, to preach the gospel to yourself and to others, explaining to people that they were, they were made for so much more than this through the witness of his church. Every day is a day to live life in the power of God's Spirit, resisting temptation and living into our new identity in Christ, not by our own strength, but dependent on the God who gave us everything, who gave everything for us. But every day is not Easter for those who don't believe in Jesus. 
If you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, then the scriptures say that you are still in your sins like we used to be. That you are still condemned to die the death that your sins, like our sins, deserve. But you don't have to. You see, you are dying a death that is no longer yours to die. Because he already died and came back to life for you. Romans 10, 9 through 11 explains it like this. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved because it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Because as the scriptures say, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. This promise is for everyone who believes. Not just for the really religious people or the really, really good people or the people who think they have it all together. It is for all who see that religion cannot save, that no one is really good, and that none of us really have it all together. For anybody who confesses that their sin has separated them from their God, that that, that we are all rebels against the king of all creation, and that that king overcame that rebellion, came and lived and died and came back to life for us, paid the penalty for our treason. How would you describe this Easter for yourself? Death feels final on Good Friday. The story feels like it's ending, but there's one more chapter. Because God doesn't leave things unfinished. Jesus is risen. It changes everything. This morning, my question is for you. Do you believe that? Thank you, Levi. I wasn't getting much amen, so Levi helped me out. As we close our service and as we go to pray, I want that question to be reflective for you. If you do believe, to continue to preach the gospel to yourself because the gospel is not just something you leave at the beginning of your Christian walk. It is the only thing that sustains you throughout your walk with Christ, the good news of Jesus. Do you believe that? And if you don't, I pray that this Easter would open up your mind and your heart to what Jesus wants for you. Not what some other uh, uh, religious people have told you. Not what you think you know about Jesus. Not what you might have experienced at the hands of people who claim to be Christians. But what the one who rose from the grave for you wants for you because he made you and he loved you enough to die for you. And he came back to life so that you could actually have life. Will you pray with me? God of peace, this morning we celebrate your resurrection. You've made peace where there was only chaos. Our sins are forgiven. We are no longer dead in our sins. You've made us alive in you. And this morning we celebrate that your resurrection was just the beginning. You are in the process of making all things new. You will finish what you started. Bodies restored, creation made right, sin made a thing of the past. Jesus, this morning I pray that you would save those who are here and don't know you. That you might save them like you saved us. We all, Christian or not, have this deep need to understand what life is about, Lord, why we're here, why this world is so broken. And so I pray that you would meet our need with the answer of your presence and your promises by the power of your spirit. And Lord, for those of us who confess you as our Lord and Savior this morning, would you continue to shape us into your witnesses? 
who testify to the good news of Jesus with our lives and our love and our words and, and everything we have. We pray grateful today, celebrating your victory and empowered by your spirit to live the resurrected lives that you've given us to live. We pray all this in the name of our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.